I have a category in my heart called heroes. And Cam Newton is not there. Not because he's not amazing, but he gets paid to do what he does. But I have people in my heart like Derek Turner. Derek Turner is a guy whose wife, after he was a believer, his wife got killed in a car accident. She was pregnant with her first child. He built a church of an amazing group of people. The whole thing blew up. He lost it. But he still loves Jesus, and he's not bitter. Hero. Hero. Mike Dickerman's in that category to me. He's getting there. He comes from a missionary family. Things didn't always work out right. He could tell you his story. I don't need to get into it. But he still has his faith intact, his family intact. He's made the kind of not lived a perfect life from decisions, nor do any of the rest of us. That's the point. But he's a hero. You know, I admire people who, and there are other people in the room, some whose stories I know and I could tell, some whose stories I don't know, but I'd like to know maybe. But they're heroes. They do the right thing when nobody knows. They, um, how do you develop a meaningful relationship? You, you have to be available for one. Another thing we're going to do is crank those men's meetings back up and give people opportunities to meet each other. Um, the Bible says every joint supplies in the Bible, but you know what a joint is? A joint is nothing. A joint is what you call where two things come together. And see, that's how you build a relationship. You, you come together with someone else and you work at it. And, you know, it's really amazing. There are way more people hurt by the church than the ones that stood up, I know. I've been in church a year. <laughs> but, but thank God, you know, for people that just keep, keep, keep doing it. You're not going to find a perfect church. Um, I look at church more as a workshop than a trophy case. And in my family... I've got really good kids. I mean, they're not perfect. <laughs> Stupid to say, right? But I've got really good kids. And we didn't try to catch them at everything bad they did. You just got to be getting away with some stuff sometimes. It's just reality. And that's the way this church is. We're not trying to figure out who's doing the next wrong thing. I really don't care. I'm not going to be the policeman. Now, if stuff comes to my attention... You know, I'll, I'll do the right thing about it. But see, church is really about people connected to God in a way that helps them relate to other people. And see, you, you've got to keep categories straight. You, you know, you need to know that another person alone will not satisfy you ultimately in any single realm but when you're connected to the Lord and you're married or when you're connected to the Lord and you develop friendships you you pull your life together from the Lord and that's what you share is that making sense but if you're trying to get them to give you this thing they don't got that thing you understand what I'm saying they don't have it it's not that they won't give it to you they don't have it 
And until both of you are connected right, vertically, the horizontal stuff doesn't have much of a chance to, to last long term. Now, that's really wise stuff I'm telling you. I hope you're getting it. Uh, I have to remember it sometimes myself. And Okay, let's... Uh, I want to go to these overheads. I have 24 minutes before I start feeling guilty. Doesn't mean I stop talking. It just means I'm feeling guilty as I continue. But we're talking. At, that was funny. Was that okay? I got a guy on the front row. He loves all my stuff, so I'm really happy. That's his seat too. Believe it. Don't be messing. Don't take his seat. It's the only thing that keeps me going sometimes. Um, knowing the Father's approval. Let's do this. What's next? Put that next slide up. Here is where the Christian life starts. It's not where it ends. It starts with God's approval. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, Matthew 3.17. There are a number of times in the Old Testament the Lord says basically that. But the amazing thing to this is it's a pronouncement that other people should hear. It's not to Jesus, you are my beloved son. Doesn't it say this is? This is my beloved son. What does that mean? It means God was proud of Jesus. And it really means he's proud of you. You can be just a complete nothing. You could have so many problems, you can't keep up with them. But when God looks at you, he says, I'm really proud of you. But he's really smart. He's not proud of you because of what you've done. He's proud of you because of who he knows you are. And he knows when you see how he feels about you, you begin to grow and change. That's really good, Robin. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep talking to myself. Now, we start where um, a lot of Christians think we're, we begin where many people, they think it's the goal. What's your goal in life? I'm, I'm committed to God. I want to. I want him to be proud of me. Well, you you don't have much hope there, son. If you're going to earn that, you got to have it up front. That's where you start. That's 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 where you start. Okay. Now, um, let's go to that next slide. It's symptoms of needing to know the father's approval. And I made that symptoms because you may not. You may not have all of those. I hope you don't have all of these. Anyone that does, well, I hope you don't. Needing to know more of. You see, there's a trick. Here's what the enemy does. If you get convicted of a bad attitude, the enemy tells you it's because you've never really dealt with it. Well, that's not true. It's because you have really dealt with it, but there's more to it. Now, here's the problem with that. It's been going on in my life for years. I can talk about the power of God's approval, and then next week I'll run into something where one of these is creeping up on me, and I mean coming fast. Because there are different levels of relationship. And I think if the Lord dealt with one of these things completely all in one encounter, there would be nothing left of us. Bam! 
So he's merciful. He, he does the onion treatment. He'll start. That's why it's, he'll peel away. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's okay. That's okay. Because he loves you. He just keeps, and you'll have seasons. You'll have seasons where you're feeling really good about yourself. And, um, you're probably mistaken. And then you'll have seasons where you feel really bad about yourself and you're probably mistaken. Because all of that's self-oriented. You just need to keep looking to the Lord, okay? All right. Name drop, well, lifestyle of sinning, striving, name dropping, insecurity. How many of you want a list of those things? I've got the good ones too. Here they are. If anybody wants these, this dear lady here just volunteered to help pass them out. (laughs) Insecurity, lack of focus, frustration, self-promotion, unbelief. Religious spirit, political spirit to gain influence, cynical, lonely. I can't read any more of those. It's too depressing. Let's go to the next. Uh, let's go to this. Ah, oh, okay. Now, this is the one I like. These are developing results of knowing the Father's love. Because all of these things you grow into. And there are times, there are people who really meet the Lord have amazingly terrible situations and they can have huge positive reversals and marvelous things can happen. You know what I'm saying? That really does happen. But there are other situations where you have to continue abiding in the knowledge of God's heart for you so that you can develop things like courage to see society change, confidence, become free from human affirmation or free from the fear of man, develop a capacity and a desire to help the weak, ability to to never fail. You know, there are people that come to our church and they find fault with different things we don't do well. Yeah, really. What a shock. But we're a work in progress. I mean, if our church is going to, if if I'm looking at you, and giving you a place to be a work in progress. How many of you would like to be a work in progress as opposed to needing to be absolutely all hands on deck, no issues whatsoever, never make a misstep, and you're welcome here? Anyone? No. Well, then if you're a work in progress, and the church is uh, the sum total of all these works in progress, the best will ever be is a church that doesn't have everything at its highest level. Now, that's not an excuse, but it is the reality. And and I've said this, I'm not going to build a church where I threaten, manipulate, or con people into doing anything. Why? Number one, it doesn't work. Number two, it's harmful. Number three, it steals from you the heart you may have to actually do what God's given you. But the other side of that is there'll be things we don't have on board yet because we don't have someone really rocking and rolling and ready to do it who has the capacity to make it happen. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, but some people aren't. And uh, I can't do much about that. This is just the way it is. But listen, you will develop and grow in these things. Um, the capacity and the desire to help the weak, the ability to never fail, unbelievable authority, unqualified security, supernatural ministry, an intimate relationship with God, remarkable boldness, the ability to trust God. Now, those are just random groupings of things that happen, can happen, should happen, and will continue to happen when you know how God really feels about you. 
Now, let's go to these statements. And I, I'm covering some of the same ground every week because people don't come every week. And I'm covering some of the ground every week because just because you hear it once doesn't mean you really get it. And I know of nothing more important than the things we've shared in the last six or seven weeks, honestly. Um, if you don't have this on board, all the other cool, neat, slick principles and concepts at some point will really let you down. But when you know God's heart, that'll take you to the end. When you continue to know it. You know, when you get saved, you may have done the worst thing you'd ever do in your life. It may be down the road somewhere. The Lord still did it. You see, he knows. Now, that's not giving you a license to go do something you don't have any business doing. But he still knows. And he's good. He's good. He loves you, cares about you. Now, Richard Rohr makes these two statements. Let's read this together. Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, that God loves you so that you can change. It's the inherent experience of love that becomes the engine of change. And let's go to the second one. Now, um, everybody pair up in twos. Okay, I know this is complicated. And I know some of you haven't done it and probably aren't going to do it. And You're on your own. <laughs> but look at this person you paired up with and decide one of you is number one, one of you is number two. So take a second and identify who that is. Who's one, who's two? Now, all of you who are not participating, you're going to miss a blessing, so you're just going to do a little reaping and sowing here this morning. Okay, all of the ones raise your hand. All the ones. Okay, all of the ones raise your hand. See, you got to pay all the twos. See, I tricked you. I said ones twice. I want to be sure you're listening. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's read this together. Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. Okay, I want all of the ones to face the twos. And I want the ones to tell the twos just what we read. If you're still talking, you're reading the wrong thing, I think. <laughs> okay, where are the ones? Raise your hand once. Okay, I'm going to help you this time. Ones, look at the twos and say, Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. Wow. Anybody feeling something there? That feels pretty good, right? Okay, twos. Now, you would be the non-one. 
All the twos, identify yourself, please. Good job, Donna. You can count on Donna to do the right thing. Twos, look at the ones, instead of saying change the mind of God about humanity, say change the mind of God about you. And then Jesus came to change your mind about God. I know that's hard. I know that's, never mind. We'll just do it standard because I could tell like they were really, there was real trouble going on. <laughs> Twos to ones. Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity and your humanity, by the way. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. Okay. Now, Jesus was not special. Okay, religious people, get ready. Jesus was not special. Jesus was normal. There are different definitions for special. Of course, he was unique, you know, the unique son of God. But... He came to show us not how God would live, but how men and women could live. See, there are different aspects of what, what Jesus did. And, you know, there are aspects of Jesus that he alone could have accomplished. The substitutionary death, his atonement, the resurrection and all that. But... He came to show us what a normal person should look like. You see, if you have in your mind, or he, I, you know, I'm normal. I'm living normal life. And he's living super normal life. You're missing the boat. Okay, now. He was the most well-adapted man who ever lived. Jesus was basically perfect humanity. Jesus was not above normal. He was normal. You just have to understand what normal is. He had callings and functions uniquely his own. But basically, he lived the most normal, well-adjusted life of anyone who ever lived. Now, that may be a little bit of a different way of looking at it, but to me... It's the accurate viewpoint of who Jesus was. Okay. How could he live a well-adjusted life? Let me ask you this. Um, I put something on Facebook last week that basically said, I like to disenfranchise people's excuses because until you... Take personal responsibility with who you are and how you feel. You don't have answer for your life yet. 
You see, that's what Adam did in the garden. I can tell a person that doesn't really understand, okay, not, not, any politician, when you catch them in something, they tell you how many other politicians did what they did. Garden of Eden. The devil made me do it. This woman you gave me. You, God, if you hadn't have set this thing up in a faulty way, I'd have never disobeyed all these stupid rules you gave me. Lawrence is like, what, that one about the tree? That one? Never, never mind. But if you think you don't have and haven't had a chance to grow and develop because of who your family was, where you came from, what people did to you, what opportunities you didn't have. You were making an excuse for your life instead of posturing yourself to make progress. Yeah, Arthur Burt used to say, take the blame or do it again. It's really a simple process. As long as you are who you are and you're the failure you feel like you are or the mistakes you've made, as long as you're that way because of what this person did or did not do, you do not have an answer for your life. You're going to continue in that cycle. You will. You will. Now, Isaiah 53, 2, the next uh, slide here. Let's put that up because it tells us something about Jesus. Read that with me. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now, as far as I can understand and study, Jesus having no beauty that made us desire him, it means to me, this is pre-cross from what I understand. This is not a description of Jesus on the cross. That comes later in the chapter. But it's telling you something that Jesus perhaps was not an amazingly attractive person. Do you have room for an ugly Jesus? And if that's offensive, you, you, it's, I'm not offending you. Something, some idea or concept inside of you is being offended and needs a little shake. That's an image. What does Jesus look like? I've never really seen him. He was Jewish. I know that. He was probably more dark-skinned than light-skinned. That's pretty well the way that... One place said his hair looked like wool. Ladies, who would be up for that? Wool-looking hair? I can give you chapter and verse. Never mind. Okay. I'm not trying to mess with you, but I'm... But it says here, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant... And as what? A root out of a dry ground. Now, here's what that tells you about Jesus. It tells you, even though, and we're going to look at this, even though he grew up under adverse circumstances, a root, what, what would a root out of dry ground look like? It'd be so gnarly, nasty. So that's a picture of his life circumstances but the picture of who he grew and developed into is described as 
growing up before him as what? A tender plant. Here's what that says. It doesn't matter what your circumstances were. If you can understand who he is, it will radically change how you view yourself, how you view your past, how you view your future. But see, Jesus didn't grow up before Mary. He didn't grow up before his five or six brothers and sisters. He grew up before his father in heaven. What does that mean? It meant from the time he became aware of who he was and who his father was, his entire life was focused on that relationship and and deriving tender plant level nourishment from that instead of the dryness of his human encounter and human relationships. And he had a crummy situation he grew up in. One of the things about Elijah, who wants the key to courage, spiritual courage? Here's this key to spiritual courage. Whenever you do something, do it before the Lord and not before the people you're communicating with or talking to. What do I mean? Elijah said to a king, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. He said something that made the king want to kill him and he looked for him for years to do that because of the strength of the prophecy of the drought that came over the land. But he didn't fear because he didn't stand before Ahab, even though he spoke to Ahab. He had an internal awareness that Ahab is not the point. God is the point. My father's the point. I pull my life from him, not from your approval, not from your smile. I don't go up, not from your frown. I don't go down. That's the key to success in any endeavor. Because you're going to meet obstacles. How many of you really enjoy it when people don't like you? How many of you would rather be very well liked? Both of those things are dangerous. If you're not well adjusted, people's frowns and people's rejections can absolutely destroy your life. But if you derive your sense of self, who you are, from people's smiles, from their approvals, from their appreciation. You just gave them license to control you. Come on. If you don't know who you are, you make mistakes trying to gain a sense of who you are from other people. And I know it works this way. Male-female relationships. People do things they have no business doing because they're looking for approval or trying to avoid rejection if they don't conform to whoever this is that's putting a demand on their life, whether it's sexual or whether it's in business or any endeavor. Now, one of the problems with government is the more control government have over people, the worse things get. It's the fact of life. I was looking at this, the uh, Socialist Party in, in, in Germany and in Russia killed between 75 and 100 million people because of control they gained. Listen, this is important. If you don't understand this, you don't understand what goes on 
in every single level and realm of society. It comes down to control. Why do preachers act like jackasses? Because you don't do what they, he wants you to do. And since you don't, and I'm, I'm, under, well, I'm not well adjusted. And if you don't do what I want you to do, my church isn't going to get big and my church doesn't get big. I can't go brag to people that I'm looking to for some kind of approval because I'm still sucking my thumb because I don't know who my dad is. Is that right? You know what I'm saying? It's about control. I have this idea. What if God doesn't want control? What if he wants love? Why would he put alcohol and drugs and everything? Why would all those things be in this universe? Why wouldn't he just say, no way, don't touch it. You can't have it. I'm not even going to let that happen. Because it's more important to God that we develop a love relationship with him than a relationship based on fear and punishment and control. Because people who live that way never fully develop. They become empty shells of who they could actually become because they haven't developed a relationship with God based on mutual appreciation and mutual love. And that's the same way the human dimension works. That is really rich right there. I mean, come on. That is true, too. I'm not ever going to tell any people how to vote. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just saying this, the more control people want, the scarier it gets. How many of you want real friends? Love them, don't control them. Care for them. Care for them. Now, how did Jesus grow up? He grew up with the rumors I'm not sure what that was. He grew up with the rumors about his mother having been unfaithful to his father and that he was illegitimate. In a culture that despised any form of sin whatsoever, the Ten Commandment culture. When Jesus got in an argument with the Pharisees, Jesus would tell them about his father. And they would say, he's not your father. Well, Jesus said, well, no, really, he is my father, but he's not yours because of the way you act. And they would say, we're not born of fornication. What were they saying? We know where you came from. We know about your mom. He had to be confronted with that. Root out of dry ground. His dad Died, disappeared, or was gone. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Died young, left the family. But he was an absentee father, and Jesus became the head of the household at a young age. Root out of a dry ground. His siblings didn't believe in him. I know there's no one in here that's ever come in contact with their, conflict with their brothers or sisters. But his brothers at one point believed Jesus was crazy and sought to go pull him out of what he was doing and take him home and save him from himself. He's root out of dry ground. His family thought he was crazy. They didn't believe in him. 
John 7, 5, for neither did his brothers believe in him. So the people closest to you, the people who have watched your life grow and develop, they don't believe in you. How would that affect you? Root out of a dry ground. That was the life of Jesus. His father was gone. He had to be the head of the household, the life of Jesus. They, they said he was born of fornication. He was illegitimate. Think about this. The only truly legitimate person who ever lived in the entire world and those around him could not recognize his legitimacy. And we wonder why people don't recognize our legitimacy in some ways. Oh, the fact that people don't recognize your legitimacy may actually be the symbol of how legitimate you truly are. I don't believe, you, you know, here's, here's this. Go tell me what everybody in the world believes about something and bring that to me. And here's going to be my thought. I don't believe that. It can't possibly be true because look who believes it. That crowd that gets everything wrong all the time. Okay. All right. Jesus, that made a little sense. Jesus stayed connected to his heavenly father from an early age. At the age of 12, his family took him to Jerusalem. Jesus stayed in Jerusalem at the temple for about three days. And the Bible tells us he asked questions the scribes and the Pharisees were intrigued by, could not answer. And when his parents finally found him, he said this to them, don't you know I must be about my father's business? So here's the real point this morning. It doesn't matter What's happened to you? You don't have to be the way you are if you don't want to be. If you know God's heart. Get around people who seem to love God and know he loves them and learn. You know, that's so important. Um, okay. I have so, I've been involved in ministry some way, shape, or form since 1974. And I have never enjoyed as much as what I've been doing the last five years here with this group of people in this church. And this is the last um, week of our fundraiser, and I'm fairly confident other funds are coming in from some other places we're not putting pressure on you guys, but this is the last week if you want want to participate. We have raised um, around $50,000. And um, let me figure, 90 plus percent has come from you. I mentioned this earlier. I think I mentioned this earlier, but as we were raising this money, the regular weekly giving and offerings hasn't changed a bit. It stayed the same. And really, that's, that speaks of amazingly healthy, vital group of people. And so here's what I want to do this morning. First of all, um, 
I know some people have given sacrificially. And it's so amazing to see people do that. Um, but for everyone who's given, I just want to thank you for doing that. I still don't have the lease signed. We're supposed to try to tie that down here this week. There have been some uh, not really complications. The owner got that really, really bad flu and couldn't get out of bed for a week. And his wife had to have an IV. So we need to pray for the Fortenberries. Um, but I, you know, all things going according to plan, we could probably sign that lease this week. And, um, you know, we see a way to do everything we need to do. Uh, I think it's going to take um, almost $200,000 to do, to do everything we're doing. And the truth is the church has been saving money since the first offering we got five and a half years ago. Because we've been aiming at this, we, we really do want a place to grow. We really do need a home. And I'm so grateful for all of you folks that have given to this. It's just, you know, really encouraging. You know, there's so many different ways to take offerings. And one of the primary churches take offerings is the whole reaping and sowing concept. And they basically tell everybody, whatever you give, you're going to get back. And therefore, you should give. But... You know, we haven't really tried to do that. We've really just appealed to people's sense of, you know, is this your place? Do you have a future here? Do you see that we have a future? Do you see that there needs to be something like this? Um, and I think you've really answered that. I think you really answered that, and I'm really I'm so happy and grateful. Um, some of the ways we do things may be different from some of the ways other people do them, and but what what we're trying to do is not repeat, um, not repeat the mistakes of the past, you know, not. You know, we're not trying to get bigger. You know, some of the things I say could really infuriate people, and I know that. Or, you know, discourage them in some ways because it's not what they're used to. But see, our main goal is not to get bigger. It's to, it's to help you get better. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we don't just share all the time little simple messages, some of the stuff we say, you really have to think about. And it's because I know after having known the Lord, you know, close to 45 years, um, we need to know this God we talk about and not just have a surface relationship with him. Am I reaching anybody here? Not just have a surface relationship with him, but... You know, promote a gospel that liberates people, whether they stay here or not, not frighten or confine or somehow control them to keep doing what we're doing so that we'll look better and get bigger. Does that, that make sense? That's not who we are. That's not really 
what's going to work. I, I love a lot of the works going on, but I want to tell you something. You know, how many of you think Andy Squires is a good speaker? How many, how many of you think John Mark is? And, and, and Eric Hurchin. And there are others among you we haven't heard from yet. But see, I'm not trying to just build this on me doing all the, all the speaking. I've done way more lately than I've wanted to. But it's because we're trying to do this a different way. We're trying to liberate people, not bind them up, not control them. We're trying to talk about things that can make a difference in how you view yourself, how you view others, how you view the Lord in such a way that will make uh, a difference in your life. Not just feed you what we think will get you to come back next week. See, my idea is this. If you're not getting anything out of what we're doing, you don't belong here. You ought to go find your life somewhere else. You know. How many people say that from the pulpit? No, they're always saying the stuff. Well, you can't wait a while. Good night. What's going to happen next week? We love you. Come, 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 come. Don't miss church on Sunday. Don't miss church on Sunday. Good God. What's the matter, son? I hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. And that's not what raised $50,000 from people that love God. Come on. And that's not what's going to make this church a city changer to some degree or another. And that's not what's going to attract the kind of people that we have in here that are, listen to me, and I'm not exaggerating, world-class people. Some by actual current profession and some by calling and destiny. That's who you are. And if we don't settle for church as normal, we'll get the real kind of normal people. We'll get Jesus people. We'll get people who know who their dad is. We'll get people who know where to get their life from so they can be a benefit to somebody else. I've got to preach in part two. So anyway, if any of you want to give here on the last week, we have envelopes in the back. You can fill them out and drop them in that bucket. And um, have I left anything out, Andy? How many of you think Andy's a great worship leader? Come on, come on. We do, we, we're so, Andy, we're so glad you and your family are here. <laughs> honestly, honestly. And Leonard Jones has been, Leonard's so amazing. Where's Leonard Jones? We want to, and the Flockmans, and there's so, oh, there's so many people here that, oh, the Britners, and I'm going to have to stop because I'll leave people out. There's so many amazing people here. Soccer people, missionary people, people, people. <laughs> See you next week. I'm, imploding here so